Welcome back, everybody, to 3 Per Fighter Radio. I am your host, The Nobody. Today, I am going to play a clip, an audio clip, from Alex Loglia on the Hour of the Time with Bill Cooper. It's his Germ Theory Part 1. So everything you think you know about germs, cancel it, because it's most likely you don't know anything. And as well, I didn't either. When I heard this, I was blown away, and it was just, again, confirmed all the lies that we've been taught as since we were children. So another thing he talks about is the vaccines, and I have known this now for quite some time because I've done quite a bit of research on it. Vaccines, we have been lied to about vaccines as well. There is not one single vaccine that is good for us. Every single vaccine causes all the sickness and disease we see in our world. It causes cancer. It causes arthritis. It causes diabetes. It causes Lou Gehrig's disease. It causes SIDS. The list goes on. Everything you can think of is called, that's bad is caused by these vaccines. And right when we're born, we are pumped full of these poisons. And most vaccines have um, chemicals like formaldehyde. Uh, that's just that's just one of them. Heavy metals, toxins, all these different things. So. But he, Alex uh, Logley, does an amazing job of presenting it um, and with overwhelming facts. So I would recommend getting a notepad and taking notes because you're going to want to definitely hear this. And over the next few episodes, I'm going to play a bunch of his um, recordings because this is so that what I'm going to start with is um, his germ theory part one. But before I do play that, I wanted to go over with you guys something I found on Memory TV. It's a Jordanian TV channel. So I've done a lot of research into the Rothschild and Rockefeller family. And from my research, over a year and a half of research, the Rothschild family is the top dogs. They are the ones who control everything. 70% of gold and silver they own. They own all the banks. They own all the media channels like Fox, CNN, CNBC. And they, of course, own Google. So nothing happens without their say-so. Also, they have been behind every war since Napoleon's Waterloo War. And something that I recently found that goes hand-in-hand hand with um, my research, and it just showed me the, the truth about it, is that the Rothschild family is the founders of the United States. If it wasn't for that family, the U.S. would not be a country. So... Scary thing is they also created the from – if you go back to my earlier episodes, I talk about the Protocols of the Wise Men of Zion, um, which is a top secret document, an Illuminati document, and, and the Illuminati is the Rothschild bloodline. And it talks about the uh, – you know, their plan and everything else to control the world and to manipulate and dictate us through the education system, through everything. And they created, they're the ones who created the Constitution. And unfortunately, I didn't want to hear that myself, but they created the Constitution. And it wasn't for the reason that we think it was. It was for an illusion of freedom. Unfortunately, the Constitution sounds like a great thing, and it does have biblical principles, but that's exactly how they created it to be, to seem like it's a good thing. But it really is an illusion of freedom, ultimately to cause uh, civil war. And again, their their slogan is order ab chaos, which is order out of chaos. So I'm going to read this um, from a Jordanian uh, TV channel. It's an article. Real quick, it says, a Jordanian TV channel recently aired a program about the Rothschild family, according to which it was the founder of the United States and owned much of the world's resources, media, and banks. 
The show included an interview with Jordanian economic analyst Mohammed Sami Abugash, who said that any leader who refused to deal with the Rothschilds would be assassinated. Abugash and TV host Rita Atahi Araji agreed that it was Rothschild and not President Macron who ruled France, and that even the U.S. and the mighty British royal family do not rule Britain. She and her guest concurred that the Rothschilds assassinated U.S. Presidents Lincoln, Kennedy, Garfield, Harrison, Tyler, and Jackson. Pause right there, and I know that to be true because it was Bill Cooper as well who exposed that um, JFK was killed by the Rothschilds. And now goes mm-hmm. on to say, Abu Ghosh further said that the Jews, and once again, if you have listened to my previous podcast, Jews means Illuminati. The Jews are the Illuminati. Control the weapons, pharmaceutical, shipping, agricultural industries, and are withholding the cure for cancer and AIDS from the world in order to make a profit. I know that to be true. So I have found the cure for cancer, and that is uh, Laetril by Dr. Richardson and the Hoxie cure by Dr. Hoxie. Um, both were blackballed by the American Medical Association years and years and years ago, and they were forced to practice uh, their medical expertise in another country. Um, I know Hoxie has a clinic in, on the border of Tijuana, and you can go and get cured by your cancer there, or you can go ahead and find his uh, the Hoxie Cure. Take that every day. It cleans your blood out. And even if you had stage 4 cancer, you have an 85% success rate of curing your cancer. If you, never have, if you don't have cancer, you have a 100% success rate if you start taking these now that you will never contract cancer. It's an amazing... Um, amazing herbs and laetril is an extract from the apricot seed and you know here in america i know that we when we eat an apricot i I had for the longest time i throw away the seeds but no you want to crush those down into the powder but richardson he was able to extract b17 from the apricot seed so you can go do more research on that and again i never recommend doing research on google because you will never find the truth on google because it is controlled by the rothschild and the cia so it goes on to say They are the prophets of money and bonds, the richest family ever known to the world. It controls half of the world's wealth and owns one-third of the planet's fresh water. It has the final say regarding the price of gold around the world. It controls the American media and owns most of the world's banks. The Rothschilds own CNN and Hollywood, as well as 80% of all Israeli settlements. Egypt has not been spared the control of the Rothschilds, who own stocks in the Suez Canal. 80% of the world's uranium belonged to them, and the Rothschild's family, which is German-Jewish in origin, is the founder of the United States and owns most of the central banks in the world. Abu Ghosh goes on to say, As soon as they instated usury in global transactions, they began to lend money to countries and leaders. Any leader who refused to deal with the Rothschilds would be assassinated. He would be killed, ostracized, or accused of being crazy. And Rita says, That family would not allow anyone to oppose its goals and interests. Since you have mentioned this, is it true that the Rothschild family was responsible for the assassination of about six world leaders, in addition to many congressmen and bank owners? The most famous among these presidents were Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. In addition to Garfield, Harrison, Tyler, and Jackson, is this true? And Abu Ghosh says, yes, 100% true. In 2000, there were only eight countries not controlled by the Rothschild family. 
In 2011, only three countries were left, and now almost all countries, with the exception of Cuba and North Korea. Rita says, Iran too? Three countries, we will get to that. But first, does this family still control the five countries to which it sent its sons? And Abu Ghash says, absolutely. It controls them politically, economically, and demographically. They even control people's mentality. They control the media networks. CNN belongs to them. Rita says, Hollywood too. And Mohammed Abu Ghash says, the broadcasting rights throughout Europe and in Hollywood, the rights to broadcast films and all the TV channels, not just CNN, but also Fox News, CBS, and ABC are owned by them. They own the advertising rights. They own the broadcasting rights. They own the media. And they own the doctrinal guidance in those countries. When I was in the U.S., I experienced how they fabricate facts in order to serve the interest of certain group of people. Rita says, Macron is the new French president and is also a new member of the New World Order system, the famous NWO, which is written on the $1 bill in Latin, as you just said when you talked about the Freemasons and the Illuminati. So does Rothschild rule France while Macron is merely the president? Mohammed says, positive. Even the U.S. and the mighty British royal family do not rule Britain. Who rules the White House? The Illuminati. Who rules the Congress? The Illuminati. Who rules the Senate? The Illuminati. Who rules American economically? The Illuminati. And who rules American firms and banks? All the gigantic American banks belong to the Illuminati. Abu Ghosh says, the weapon industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the shipping industry, the agriculture industry. Rita says, with regard to the pharmaceutical industry, people say that there is a cure for cancer, but these powerful families refuse to provide it to the people because they want to profit from selling these drugs. Mohammed says, it's the same with AIDS. And Rita says, yes, AIDS too. Pause right there. Also, the cure for AIDS is black cumin seed oil. There has been many, many studies that if you take the pure black cumin seed oil, I have some myself, and it makes you feel, I mean, it is an amazing herb. Take black cumin seed oil every day, and if you have any kind of autoimmune disease, it will correct that within six months. It will be gone. Many people with AIDS have been cured by black cumin seed oil. And again, AIDS, it spawns from the vaccines. So, just in case you didn't know that, Mohammed says they have the cure for AIDS, but they won't give it away because they want to have a monopoly. After 20 years, the disease has spread, and instead of 1 million sick people, there are 100 million. Now they present the treatment in the market, and instead of 1 million doses, they sell 100 million. With this mentality, they wish to control all the sources of life on this planet. So, folks, I came across that, and that ad- it added up 100% with my um, recent studies over the you know this last year and a half, and what Bill Cooper even talked about in the 90s. He was spot on. That man was right about everything except for one thing. I suggest if you don't, if you've never heard Bill Cooper, you go find his um, videos. Now, I'm going to play to you. I'm going to play you this uh, video of Alex Loglia and. You are in for a treat. All right, here we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, you're listening to the Hour of the Time. Tonight, we're going to do something uh, that we've been telling you we were going to do for quite a while. And uh, 
Without any further introduction, let's get into it. That's right, folks. It's the return of our medical sleuth, Kaji member Alex Loglia, who many, many months ago promised to return with his treatise on germs. And tonight, here it is. Now, because we don't have any medical experts here or laboratories with which to conduct these simple experiments, I'm going to have to advise you not to believe what you hear tonight, or from any other source for that matter, at any time. Listen to everyone, read everything, believe nothing unless you can prove it in your own research. We believe that there may be some validity to the information you're going to hear tonight, and that's why we're presenting it to you. However, whether or not it turns out to be true is going to depend upon whether or not we're able to conduct some experiments to either prove it true or prove it false. According to the premise from the tape you're going to hear tonight, the experiments should be fairly easy to conduct. Good evening, folks. It's been a while since I was on with the last show on vaccinations, and before I get into tonight's subject, which is going to be about the history of the germ theory, I want to give you a little bit of information that I've had uh, dug up in the interim about vaccinations. Particularly, I'm going to mention a couple of bills that are trying to push through Congress right now that you might want to contact your representatives about. I don't have time to go into detail on the show here as to what they're about, but I strongly suggest you contact your representatives about these particular bills. They are S-732, the Comprehensive Child Immunization Act of 1993, and S-887, the National Immunization Improvement Act of 1993, both of these bills were incorporated into the Public Service Act of the Senate Budget Bill and passed by the Senate on June 25, 1993. Also, H.R. 2264, Universal Access to Childhood Immunizations. This act was incorporated into the House Budget Reconciliation Act and passed by the House on May 27, 1993. Um, they, uh, actually, S887 and S733, which is the National Immunization Act of 1993 and the Comprehensive Child Health Immunization Act of 1993, are both still pending before the Senate Committee on Finance, so there is still time to uh, get those particular bills turned back and to have them overthrown, so to speak. They're not good news, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, really, this is a very important issue, so I hope you will take some action. We did have a minor success in that the uh, National Humanization Registry, which was scheduled to open up in 1994, has been shot down, but I'm sure it will raise its ugly head again soon. So keep your eyes out for any information you may hear about a National Humanization Registry. Uh, Big Brother wants us to be experimental guinea pigs and wants to track us very carefully in reference to immunizations, and that's what that bill is all about. Now, tonight I'm going to be talking, as promised, about the germ theory, uh, about a great fraud named Louis Pasteur, who was perhaps the single most malicious influence on the medical profession of the modern era. Before I even do that, though, I do want to make a little comment about the last Sean vaccinations also, which I just recalled. I'd like to thank everyone who responded to the show. Um, I heard some 
some very disturbing stories, some very moving personal testimony from a number of people, and I really do appreciate all that. Um, if you have any more of these uh, personal experiences in reference to vaccinations or in reference to anything that I'm going to be talking about over the next couple of nights, please do write me. I will give you an address where you can get in contact with me at the end of the show. I love your information. And I love people's personal experiences, especially about vaccinations, because I am compiling some data right now to make sure that we never have to have compulsory immunizations. But uh, if we don't do some serious work right now, that very well could become a reality. I do have a little correction also from the last show. <laughs> One of my colleagues pointed out to me that uh, I had mentioned Jonas Salk admitted that two-thirds of the polio cases uh, were actually caused by his vaccine. Well, I did not mention the fact that this period that he himself was referring to was from 1966 to 1976. Uh, we've dropped out of my notes, but I just wanted to mention it because I never want to have it said that I... Uh, willfully misled anyone or did not correct my mistakes. Okay, tonight though, I am going to be talking about the germ theory, and I am again going to be doing a lot of reading, and I'm doing this because you are going to require a tremendous amount of scientific fact to counteract the brainwashing that you've received on this subject. If you thought the information that I gave you on vaccinations on the last show was disturbing and hard to believe, let me tell you, this show tonight will be a stretch for you as well. Um, we are talking about the germ theory here, the idea that germs cause disease, which is absolutely not true. Now, I don't intend to go into this with the purpose of simply shocking you and making you uh, believe some very interesting new information. The reason I'm going into all the things that I'm going into over the next couple of nights, specifically the germ theory, and AIDS is because hopefully by the end of this series uh, I will be ready to give you some of the information that I cherish the most in this field which is how to be healthy but before I can impart that information to you I have to counteract all the poor mental training and go against all the paradigms that you have built up inside of you since you were born regarding how you get sick, regarding what disease is, and regarding how to be healthy. But that is my ultimate goal. I do intend to do a show after all this, finally, to tell you the good stuff, what you can do to make sure that you can live a long and healthy life. Now, we have all been led to believe that there are these nasty little bacteria and viruses out there who are constantly attacking us, and when they're successful in their efforts, we get sick. In short, we've been taught for decades, actually centuries, that germs cause disease. But as usual, when we start to deal with truth and reality, what is really going on is the exact opposite of what we've been taught. Folks, disease causes germs. Germs do not cause disease. My own years of research, study, and experimentation have clearly shown me that diseases of all kinds do not stem from germs or viruses. Disease, as we know it, is the result of toxic inputs into our biological system, things like poisons disguised as medications, vaccinations, chemical poisons in our food, air, water, radiation, x-rays, 
drug abuse, including smoking and alcohol, stress, and destructive emotional states, and most important, poor nutrition. I'm sure many of you out there uh, may think I'm a little bit off my rocker at this point, but do try to suspend your judgment just for a little while uh, as I get into this presentation. You have to understand that modern medicine studies illness, disease, and death. They study dead bodies, diseased organs, and sick people. Modern medicine does not and has never studied health. You have to get this idea in your mind very clearly from the start. As a result of this attitude, medical treatment today is symptom-driven, meaning that modern medicine tries to mask, lessen, or eliminate the symptoms of disease rather than treat the cause. Folks, our bodies are absolutely amazing, and science knows at this point next to nothing about how our bodies really work in a profound and essential way. Science has a way of naming things and thereby believing it understands. Scientists tend to identify symptoms, create a name, and find a germ, and believe they have understood something. But this way of looking at things is totally artificial and backwards. Now, listen to what I'm going to say very carefully. Disease is the cure, ladies and gentlemen. The disease is the cure. Through toxic drugs, vaccinations, malnutrition, poor eating habits, stress, pesticides, pollution, radiation, and negative emotional states, our bodies are constantly being poisoned, and our bodies are constantly eliminating all sorts of these toxins. It is this natural process of elimination that medicine has labeled disease, from the most mild things like colds all the way up to cancer. What we call germs are organisms and pieces of viral material which are constantly present in our bodies. To claim them as a cause of the symptoms just because of their coincidental presence would indicate very poor reasoning indeed, but this is exactly what has been done. Even more, it is this state of elimination which we call disease, which medicine calls disease, which creates environments within our bodies where germs can thrive. But these germs do not cause the disease. Germs are the garbage men of our bodies and participate in the elimination and breakdown of toxins and waste products in our bodies. <clears throat> Let me quote Dr. Raymond Reif, who I will mention again later. Suffice it to say that he was a brilliant researcher and his brilliant discovery of a very unique cure for cancer led to him being victimized by the modern medical establishment, which eventually led to his total breakdown. He developed the most powerful light microscope of his day with magnifications up to 60,000 diameters and resolutions up to 31,000 diameters. Our current electron microscopes have resolutions up to 25,000 diameters and magnify 100 to 200,000 diameters. But these electron microscopes force the subject being observed to be put into a vacuum and then it bombards the subject with a storm of electrons. Thus, the structure of what we see in electron micrographs is not real. It has been altered. And we never see electron micrographs of anything in a living state as a result of the entire process that you use to do an electron micrograph. Now, 
Dr. Reich was around in the early to middle years of the 1900s, and his scopes allowed the observation of living tissues and bacteria. In fact, he had one scope that he developed that rivaled the resolution and magnification of today's current electron microscope. Nevertheless, his words will serve me well here as an introduction tonight. I quote Dr. Raymond Reich. In reality, it is not the bacteria themselves that produce the disease, but we believe it is the chemical constituents of these microorganisms in acting upon the unbalanced cell metabolism of the human body that in actuality produce the disease. We also believe if the metabolism of the human body is perfectly balanced or poised, it is susceptible to no disease. He goes on later, we have in many instances produced all the symptoms of the disease chemically in experimental animals without the inoculation of any virus or bacteria into their tissues. Now that's a very simple statement, folks, but it's very important because what Dr. Wright did was he realized after observing living tissue, living cells, living bacteria and viruses that germs don't cause disease and that the symptoms of disease in his experimental animals could be produced with chemical toxins. But these were the exact same symptoms that were being blamed for diseases which the medical establishment claimed were caused by germs. It's important that all of you out there understand that modern medicine and the germ theory is based upon a misguided assumption about infectious diseases originating over a century ago. I'm going to discuss this shortly, but first I'm going to read you a little excerpt from Michael Crichton's recent book-slash-movie, Jurassic Park. Um, I want to use this quote to put you in the right frame of mind, because I'm sure many of you out there, if not already, will very soon be asking yourselves, how could this happen? How could scientists working in this field allow this kind of fraud to occur? And I'm going to answer that question for you folks, because Michael Crichton has done it quite eloquently. Uh, but by the way, the context of this quote I can't even take credit for. I am uh, authorizedly stealing it from the work of a brilliant researcher by the name of Dr. Bill Holland, who I'll talk about later. But without further ado, let me read you about scientific research from Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Here we go. You know what's wrong with scientific power? It's a form of inherited wealth. And you know what assholes and generally rich people are. It never fails. Most kind of power requires substantial sacrifice by whoever wants the power. There is an apprenticeship, a discipline lasting many years. Whatever kind of power you want, president of the company, black belt in karate, spiritual guru. Whatever it is you seek, you have to put in the time, the practice, and the effort. You must give up a lot to get it. It has to be very important to you, and once you have attained it, it is your power. It can't be given away. It resided in you. It is literally the result of your discipline. Now, what is interesting about this process is that by the time someone has acquired the ability to kill with his bare hands, he has also matured to the point where he won't use it unwisely. So that kind of power has a built-in control. The discipline of getting the power changes you so that you won't abuse it. But scientific power is like inherited wealth, attained without discipline. You read what others have done and you take the next step. You can do it very young. 
you can make progress very fast. There is no discipline lasting many decades. There is no mastery. Old scientists are ignored. There is no humility before nature. There is only a get-rich-quick, make-a-name-for-yourself-fast philosophy. Cheat, lie, falsify, it doesn't matter. Not to you or to your colleagues. No one will criticize you. No one has any standards. They are all trying to do the same thing. To do something big and do it fast. And because you stand on the shoulders of giants, you can accomplish something quickly. You don't even know exactly what you have done, but already you have reported it, patented it, and sold it. And the buyer will have even less discipline than you. The buyer simply purchases the power, like any commodity. The buyer doesn't even conceive that any discipline might be necessary. A karate master does not kill people with his bare hands. He does not lose his temper and kill his wife. The person who kills is the person who has no discipline no restraint, and who has purchased his power in the form of a Saturday night special, and that is the kind of power that today's science fosters and permits. So with all this in mind, folks, let's take a look at the history of the germ theory. I quote from Dr. Bill Hollip's paper, The True Story, Germs, Infections, Epidemics, and Vaccinations. Here is still another chapter which requires a totally new understanding from what you have been told. You are very likely comfortable after decades of medical germ propaganda with the simple notion that germs cause infections, which cause epidemics, which require immunizations to cure. After all, isn't that what you learned in nursery school, primary school, high school, college, at the doctor's office, health departments, the media, etc.? Would you be shocked if we told you that almost all that you have learned about germs and disease is not true? But please bear with us as we unfold this extraordinary story. Temporarily suspend all your preconceptions and listen with an open mind, heart, and spirit. What you have learned about germs, disease, epidemics, and immunizations represents a hundred years of misunderstanding and opportunism. Organized medicine simply made a mistaken guess about the nature of quote-unquote infectious disease about a century ago. Contemporary medicine has since been building a medical house of cards based upon a non-scientific foundation of ignorance and a few lies. History frequently becomes distorted to suit the needs of current vested interests. This has certainly been true concerning the quote-unquote history of germs, infections, disease, and immunizations. We have all been told about Pasteur, the father of the alleged germ theory of disease. It is a classic medical fairy tale told and retold to all of us, including our children. After all, didn't he save all our children from those horrible childhood and adult epidemics? Why, everyone knows that germs cause disease, right? Wrong. Let's go back and look at another version of those times, and you decide. First of all, the germ theory predated Pasteur by several centuries. In 1546, Geronimo Fracastorio published the first statement about contagion and organisms. But it wasn't until 1683 that the microscope of Anton van Leeuwenhoek produced a visual existence of germs and bacillus. 
1762, M.A. Flensic published a germ theory of infectious disease. He postulated that organisms living outside of our bodies could invade us and cause infection and disease. It does seem, therefore, that Pasteur copied all this information and presented it as his own in 1878. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's not quite that true either. Because, aside from plagiarizing all those other people from centuries and decades before him, Pasteur plagiarized someone else. Let me read you from Wayne James's book, Immunizations, the Reality Behind the Myth, because she has a lot more to say on this subject. Let's go back to the scientific world of about 130 years ago. Scientists were arguing about the origin and nature of living matter and were asking such questions as, what is the thing that causes milk to sour, meat to spoil, and wine to ferment? Where does it come from? Does it come from the air? Does it grow from other matter? Or does it just appear from nowhere? Most scientists believe the thing that caused fermentation appeared from nowhere. This theory was called spontaneous generation. One French scientist, however, proved through experiments in his laboratory that fermentation was the result of living organisms and that these organisms are airborne. They grow in the food and ferment it by a process of their digestion, assimilation, and excretion. Does this sound like I am talking about Louis Pasteur? Read on. The same scientists also discovered that living organisms exist within cells as well as on external surfaces, and that these organisms can cause fermentation as can airborne organisms. Meanwhile, another scientist, a spontipartist, which is one who believes in spontaneous generation of matter, seized upon this first scientist's ideas and claimed them as his own. Being extraordinarily ambitious and with a genius for self-promotion, he popularized as well as plagiarized the original scientist's ideas when he found that his own observations and explanations would not stand up to scrutiny. This plagiarism, the first of many such plagiarisms, would not have been so devastating had the ideas not been oversimplified and distorted. For instance, having realized that airborne microorganisms, later known as bacteria, cause fermentation, he became fixated and sought to explain by germs of the air everything that he had explained before by spontaneous generation. He ignored those microorganisms within the cells of our body that can cause not only fermentation but perform other important biological functions as well. He also thought that these minute organisms were fixed, monomorphic entities, and he divided them into different classes, claiming that each group fermented one kind of food and another fermented another, and so on. This eventually led to the theory that different bacteria cause different diseases. This is the familiar germ theory of disease, of course, and the opportunist and plagiarist was none other than the hallowed Louis Pasteur. This is a heretical idea and is easy to say at this distance in time, but as the facts as set forth by Ethel Douglas Hume in her book show, The Chopper Pasteur, which is the title, the book is extremely well documented. Miss Hume spent years poring over every scientific paper presented by the chemist, Louis Pasteur, and by the chemist, physician, naturalist, and biologist, Professor Pierre-Jacques Antoine Bichamp. As she noted their dates, it became clear that Pasteur, who in many instances first ridiculed Bichamp's theories, 
later appropriated them and took full credit for their discovery. Now, the reasons Louis Pasteur's theories, plagiarized theories and distorted theories were accepted during his day was because, first of all, his theories fit the mechanistic theories of the universe that were popular in the 19th century, and it also fits human nature because man loves to take responsibility and throw it outside of himself. And the idea that these bad little germs came and flew around and attacked us made a very good scapegoat. And of course, the third reason was that Louis Pasteur's ideas fit commercial interests. You know, in the case of disease, the cause, our germs, and our protectors is the medical establishment. Hold on a second here, folks. Bill's going to turn the tape over, and we'll be back with you in a minute. Substantives. 
True nursing ignores infection, except to prevent it. Cleanliness and fresh air from open windows with unremitting attention to the patient are the only defense a true nurse either asks for or needs. Wise and humane management of the patient is the best safeguard against infection. The greater part of nursing consists in preserving cleanliness. The specific disease doctrine is the grand refuge of the weak, uncultured, unstable minds such as now rule in the medical profession. There are no specific diseases. There are specific disease conditions. I'll bet you didn't know Florence Nightingale argued against the germ theory, folks. Now, let me complete the picture a little bit now. I'm going to read you a little piece about Bernard Bichamp, the man who originated the ideas which Pasteur stole and twisted. I'm reading from Wayne James's book, Immunization, The Reality Behind the Myth. Now let us turn to Bichamp and his theories. As we proceed, you will notice that Bichamp's ideas are almost the inverse of Pasteur's. In essence, Bichamp's theories are as follows. The smallest units of living matter are what psychologists have called cell granules, which Bichamp sometimes referred to as granulations of the protoplasm. Bichamp called these organisms microzymas from the Greek word meaning small ferments because they induce fermentation. Not all cell granules are microzymas, however. Microzymas are identifiable because they have some structure and are autonomous. They are the antecedents of cells and the fundamental unit of the corporate organism. Every living being has arisen from the microzyma and every living being is reducible to the microzyma. To get an idea of their size, we might say that they are to the cell what an electron is to an atom. Microzymas are constantly developing into bacteria. In fact, bacteria are an evolutionary form of microzymas, actually microzymas fully grown. They develop from the cells of the host organism when that organism dies. So-called virulence or pathogenic bacteria are generated by decaying matter. Their function being to reduce or decompose matter back to its constituent elements. When their job is finished, they become microzymas again. Pathogenic bacteria could be thought of as nature's undertakers or cleanup crew. The, micro, the microorganisms known as disease germs are either diseased microzymas, as Bichamp called them, or their evolutionary bacterial forms. Quoting Bichamp, in a diseased body, a change of function in the microzymas may lead to a morbid bacterial evolution. If tissue is healthy, the microzymas will function to support the life and integrity of the cells. If the cells have been damaged, they will produce morbid or diseased microzymas, which may evolve into pathogenic or disease-producing bacteria. In short, the microzyma has two functions, to build or to disintegrate tissues. Another way of thinking about the functions of microzymas is that they secrete ferments which aid digestion, and when they encounter dead or damaged cells, they evolve into bacteria. Bouchamp found microzymas everywhere, innumerable in healthy tissues, and associated with various kinds of bacteria in diseased tissues. Whether microzymas become healthy and evolve into friendly bacteria, which aid in constructive metabolism, or are diseased and evolve into pathogenic bacteria depends upon the character of the medium, the cellular fluids upon which they feed. That is, the character of the soil, 
The health or the unhealth of the host organism is what determines the character of the microorganismic life within it. Bodies in which pathogenic bacteria form are not healthy. Merely fighting and killing bacteria will not bring health for the condition which gave rise to the bacteria will do so again. Let me read that again, folks, because this is the essence of the fraud that you have been given in reference to the germ theory. This is the reality. I'm going to read it again. Bodies in which pathogenic bacteria form are not healthy. Merely fighting and killing bacteria will not bring health, for the condition which gave rise to the bacteria will do so again. Bishop showed that bacteria function in whatever medium they find themselves, even changing their shapes as well as their function in accord with that medium. In comparing Pasteur's understanding of bacteria with Bichamp's, J.I. Rodale gives us the following illustration. Pasteur might have commented while looking into a microscope, Ah, here is the bacteria that ferments beer, and this is its shape. Bichamp might have commented, Here is a bacteria fermenting beer. In beer, it takes on this shape. In other words, bacteria are pleomorphic, or form-changing rather than monomorphic or form-fixed. Bacteria reflect the conditions in which they find themselves rather than create those conditions. Thus, ladies and gentlemen, the one bacteria for one disease idea is absolute nonsense. And we're going to talk about that more in the next show. Modern medicine, under the spell of the germ theory, tells us that for every disease there is a disease entity, an individual bacteria shaped in a particular way that causes a particular disease. Bichamp showed through innumerable experiments that not only is the germ we associate with a particular disease a product and not the cause of the disease, but also that what some researchers would call different species of bacteria are really different stages of microzymian evolution into their bacterial forms. I know this is a lot to digest, folks, and there's a lot of big words in here, but just understand that the basic ideas behind Bichamp's theories is that there are tiny units of life, much smaller than itself, which are the basis which evolve into bacterial forms later on depending upon the medium in which they exist. Bichamp also says that bacteria do not cause disease, germs don't cause disease. They respond to the media they are in. Now the fact is that what we call germs being bacteria and viruses and protozoa function as little, the little garbage men of our bodies. They break down and decompose us and our constituent organs and cellular fluids and all kinds of good stuff when they are unhealthy and toxic. And on the other hand, they also participate in the building process of our body. Now the microzymas, uh, is a funny word and I'm sure it throws a lot of you, but don't worry about it because what we're really talking about here and the connection will be made hopefully in the next show, which you're going to hear tomorrow night, I hope you'll all listen, is that microzymas are very close to what modern medicine is calling genes, genetic material. And this is where I'm going to make the connection with the fraud about viruses, folks, including AIDS. 
But not to get too far off the subject, I'm going to clarify some of what I just read um, by citing the work of Dr. Henry Lindlar, who's Dr. Livera in 1918, and his quotes and his discussions of Bichamp are very interesting. Quote, the physical characteristics and vital activities of cells and germs depend upon the soil in which their microzymas feed, grow, and multiply. Thus, microzymas growing in the soil of procreative germplasm develop into normal, permanent, specialized cells of a living vegetable, animal, or human organism. The same microzymas feeding on morbid material and systemic poisons in these living bodies develop into bacteria and parasites. I'm now going to quote another early proponent of Bichamp's work, uh, that is one Dr. E.C. Rosenau, who was working in the Mayo Biological Laboratories in 1910. He did a series of experiments in which he took bacterial strains from all different disease sources, things like arthritis, tonsillitis, cow's milk, and mixed them all up and put them in a culture of uniform media. And what he says here is interesting, quote, after a while, there was no difference between the germs. They all became, they all became one class. Now, you may think, oh, well, one strain overrode the others and took over. Well, that's not what happened because it was a very well-controlled experiment. And folks, these experiments have been repeated over and over again. But it's very strange that we are being taught a very, very distorted view of how germs and disease function. Now, Dr. Rosenau uh, did some other very interesting work in this field. Reading from Wayne James' book, Rosenau demonstrated that, quote, simple bacterial forms like streptococci, which are pus germs, could be made to assume all of the characteristics of pneumococci, which are pneumonia germs. Simply by feeding them on pneumonia virus and making other minor modifications in, in their environment. And when Rose now reversed the procedure and fed pneumonia, pup, pneumonia germs on pus, they quickly changed into streptococci. Many other experiments were carried on, and in every instance, the germs, regardless of type, changed into other types when their food and environment were altered. In other words, Rosenau found that various strains of bacteria, or what one might call sub-subspecies of them, could, when suitably treated, become any of the other strains. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Reif of San Diego, who I mentioned earlier, who had built that fantastic light microscope that made living germs and viral material visible for the first time before or since, actually. Quoting, again, from Wayne James's book, Rice showed that by altering the environment and food supply, friendly germs such as colon bacillus can be converted into pathogenic germs such as typhoid, and that this process is reversible. Experiments conducted in the Rice laboratories established the fact that the virus of cancer, like the viruses of other diseases, can be easily changed from one form to another by means of altering the media upon which it is grown. With the first change in media, the BX virus becomes considerably enlarged, although its purplish-red color remains unchanged. Observation of the organism with an ordinary microscope is made possible by a second alteration of the media. A third change is undergone upon asparagus-based media where the BX virus is transformed from its filterable state into Cryptomyces pleomorphia fungi, these fungi being identical morphologically both macroscopically and microscopically to that of the orchid and of the mushroom. 
and yet a fourth change may be said to take place when this cryptomyces pleomorphia permitted to stand in the stock culture for a period becomes the well-known mahogany-colored bacillus coli. By altering the media four parts per million per volume, the pure culture of mahogany-colored bacillus coli becomes the turquoise blue bacillus typhosis. Simply stated, folks, this means that the virus of cancer can be easily changed into the type of bacteria that normally inhabits our colon, and it can also be changed into destructive bacteria of typhoid simply by slightly altering the media in which it is grown. And remember, folks, our bodies and the substances and the constituents of our cellular fluids are the media in which bacteria grow in our bodies. Now, since this is indeed the single greatest fraud slash misunderstanding in all of medical history, before I go any further, folks, I want to be sure that everything is clear in your mind, and I'm going to read now a summary from Dr. Bill Hall, who I've quoted throughout the show here, because it is very understandable, very concrete, and yet very simple. Reading from Bill Hollib's work, Bishop called these microscopic creatures microzymas and he found them everywhere, in healthy and diseased tissues, in plants, and in rocks, and in the air. He determined that they were the elemental unit of life, not the cell, and that all living organisms were simply associations of these living entities. He further said that their presence was necessary for cell growth, repair, and long-term survival. Today's microzymas are all direct descendants of prehistoric ancestors changed only by the changes in the Earth's total environment. These microzymas are immortal and are always ready to rebuild, to heal, to rework body wastes, or to decompose you, depending upon whether you are well-nourished or not. They have the same functions as those found in the soil or sewage or anywhere in nature, and they have never, ever been shown to attack healthy tissues. One must remember the climate of medicine at the time. It was just prior to the discovery of germs that medicine literally believed in evil spirits as the cause of disease. Without realizing that the symptoms of disease are actually the body and healing action, medicine sought an explanation for these observed phenomenon. Acting mostly from fear of the unknown, but also from fear of death, pain, and loss of control, Medicine postulated the theory that illness came from outside of the individual in the form of a foreign invader. Of course, there was and still isn't any scientific evidence whatsoever for these foreign invaders. But medicine persists because now the foreign invader idea has economic support. Think of it. If medicine can convince you that diseases caused by these foreign invaders, be they evil spirits or germs or cancer cells, then they can also convince you that you have no power over them and only medicine can save you. They may also convince you that nothing you do to change your lifestyle will affect your disease, and so they are able to sell you an endless variety of products and services, which is drugs and surgery. In a very real sense, medicine still believes in evil spirits because germs are today's evil spirits. Supposedly, germs come from outside of you and possess your body to give you illness, pain, and death. Only medicine, of course, has the special magical potions in the form of drugs and surgery to cure you. They want you to feel powerless so that they can take the power in their own hands and the money too, of course. Pasteur's germ theory fit today's medical bill. 
so they are determined to hold on to it, despite scientific proof to the contrary from every corner. You see, if these evil germs cause disease, then you can't blame air pollution, drugs, medication, junk food, and a variety of other profitable businesses. Imagine if medicine accepted the true germ theory of Bichamp. The behavior of germs then becomes a consequence of the degree of our nourishing ourselves and our world. Then medicine would have nothing to sell you except the truth, and at the moment, they fear that no one would buy it. The truth that they could sell is the disease is simply a sign that your body is healing and that your cooperation and that of the germs is required to complete the job. Just think, then doctors would have to start talking to you about diet, supplements, exercise, spirit, heart and mind, and true healing. They would have to start helping you heal rather than helping you to decompose. Interestingly, in this battle between Pasteur and Bichamp, it has been reported that just before Pasteur died, he admitted that Bichamp's germ theory is the correct one i.e. that germs are a consequence of their environment and hence a result of disease and not a cause of disease. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's also an interesting coincidence that Louis Pasteur is the father of vaccinations. Um, you've heard, I hope, well, maybe you haven't, but if you went through some basic high school or college biology, you know about his experiments on anthrax and rabies, which we allegedly cured, but the facts are that Pasteur caused more anthrax and rabies with his vaccinations and killed more people than history would care to admit. The other legacy that our friend Louis Pasteur has left us is the wonderful process of pasteurization, because remember, Pasteur gave us the germ theory, and germs are bad, so we have to kill them in our food. He was the one who got us to pasteurize milk. Now. I'm going to get into this when I talk about a show on nutrition, but just for fun, I'll mention it to you now. Pasteurized milk spoils faster than raw milk, and that is because the protective bacteria that will actually help the milk last longer are killed by pasteurization. Now, pasteurization is stupid to begin with because um, the temperatures required about 190 to 230 degrees Celsius and needed to kill typhoid and tuberculosis. And they can never heat milk that high because it totally destroys it. But by their little pasteurization methods that they use now, they destroy all nourishing nutrients in milk and other juices and other foods that they pasteurize including 20% of the available iodine, most of the fat-soluble and water-soluble vitamins. And I hope none of you out there really believe that milk is a source of calcium, because raw milk is a source of calcium, but pasteurized milk is not a source of calcium. In fact, it drains calcium from your bones because the pasteurization process renders the proteins in milk highly indigestible and toxic and in order to balance the acidic pH condition which drinking milk creates in your bloodstream, it causes a calcium drain on your body. Well, so much for Louis Pasteur. Tomorrow night, folks, I'm going to go into this in detail and I'm going to bring it to the present day. We are going to talk about modern diseases. We are going to go further into the reality, into the real data about the germ theory. And 
Following that, we're going to talk about AIDS. So, I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. I'm sure you will like what you hear. I know tonight was a bit historic and a bit maybe boring, but the background that was necessary to give you. Again, if there is anything that I mentioned on the show that you would like to know about or want to correspond with me about or you have information that you think I would be interested in or you think I'm full of crap and you want to argue with me, you can write to me. <laughs> That's Alex Loglia, L-O-G-L-I-A, 217 East 85th Street, Suite 246, New York, New York, 10028. More importantly, though, I would love to get out what information I have to anyone who wants it, and I do have tons about vaccinations, about germs and disease, about AIDS, about everything in that area. That's Alex Loglia, L-O-G-L-I-A, 217 East 85th Street, Suite 246, New York, New York, 10028. You can include a phone number if you want, but you don't have to. I'll get back to everybody as much as is possible. Take care, folks. Good night, and I hope you'll tune in tomorrow night. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to be it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm sorry for the quality of that video. It's not the best quality. It's an older video, and it's hard to find a good quality of him speaking. But um, the whole point is now you have a new kind of knowledge and something to think about. And again, research, 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 and don't use Google. All right, until next time, I'll see you guys later.